Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 148. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, we've got two guests, long-time actually desired guests, and some some people who I think can help me talk about a topic that's come up a lot recently in our community and based on a lot of fan mail. So I'd like to introduce Chris and Melissa Howder. How are you two doing? Hey, Good. Steve. What's up, Steve? And everybody else. And everybody else <laughs> out there in podcast land, in radio land. <laughs> it's good here. It is uh, a lovely morning here in Vancouver. Some guy decided to just start mowing the lawn right about now, but I think he stopped. So I think we're good. That's always a bit of podcast drama for me is whether there's going to be someone in the background. Oh, yes. those. Loud- Listen, I want to come visit you in Vancouver. We do. <laughs> Where are you guys from again? Well, let's, Redondo, Redondo Beach, California, which is if you look on a map, you would see the huge Los Angeles and we're one of the many suburbs of Los Angeles County. I see. I see. The concrete jungle. <laughs> well, I, I do love Cali, but it has been, of, of course, a while since I've, I've been down there. I don't know about you guys, but I've been pretty much restrained to the my geographic region for the last almost two years now. <laughs> Not Chris. Chris yes. is traveling all over the damn place. The last <laughs> six months I've been but traveling all over. You, you know, America, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am very aware that the countries under the crown have very strict COVID measures implemented. Yeah. Well, it, it's actually at least here where I am. You know, I'm always hesitant to talk about the stuff on the podcast because it changes so quickly. There was, I remember an episode a while back where I was just talking about this with our guest and I said, here's the state of the union here in in Canada. And two weeks later, when the podcast went live, the whole situation had completely changed. But as of where we stand on this recording, it's actually not that bad. I mean, the vax rate here in Canada, especially in BC, where I live, is very high. I think it's about getting close to 90% for eligible people. Wow, that is really We do have a vaccine mandate system that's gone in place. And, you know, there's always going to be some degree of controversy surrounding that. But, of course, sure. when you have 90% uptake on vaccination, it's really not such a big deal. But that's that's kind of where we are. I'm just personally waiting. My you know, I got a four-year-old, and I thought, you know, I... I don't want to introduce too many things back into my life all at once. We just got her back into preschool. So we're kind of dipping our toes back into civilized society once again after a very long hibernation. I totally respect that. I totally respect that. Yep. And if Chris didn't depend on these seminars for like, you know, our food, (laughs) I probably (laughs) wouldn't have him go. (laughs) Yeah. um, I, I mean, we certainly would probably... I would assume don't want this a podcast to derail into a COVID topics, vaccine, anti-vax, conspiracy. We'll because, lose all kinds of fans. Because boy, does that go down the rabbit hole rather quickly, right? You know, I, I will say this. I, I have the feeling that our audience would be quite receptive. You, you know what, Chris? You don't get much time to talk about this stuff. So if you want to just blow the barn door off, go for it. <laughs> I'm going to give one very brief and then we'll get over to what this podcast is about, which is the aging of grappler. But I will say that like this morning, one of my good friends, and I will say this out there in a podcast land, 
I have good friends who have literally the opposite opinions that I have on not only COVID, not only the vaccines, but political ideologies, religious beliefs, and we are still really good friends. So I think that's the most important thing. And the one thing that I observe happening on both, I shouldn't say both sides because now I'm making everything black and white, but amongst almost everyone, particularly on social media, is the toxic levels of insult that all sides throw against each other. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I know it makes people on the far left mad, makes people on the far right mad, but the one thing that we can all agree on is the communication level, particularly on social media, is toxic and not good for whether you believe in more democracy or less democracy, more representation or less, pro-vaccine, anti-vax, whatever it is, that type of communication leads to fights. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I learned, and I can't remember who said this because it wasn't my original idea. It, it's something that, that actually came to me. I want to say it was ages ago when I was in the, the police academy, the guy who taught a traffic law was this old, wise, retired highway a patrolman. And he had a lot of these wise little quips. And one of them was at the end of the speech was he said, you got to learn to drive your own car. You're not driving other people's cars. That means you don't get an opinion on how they're driving their car. You drive your own car and assume that others some are good, some are bad, but you let them drive their own car. Because when you get into their heads on what they should be doing, you're no longer driving your own car. And that's when you end up reacting and end up in wrecks. And if you want to calm yourself in with a drive, whether it's a high-speed drive, low-speed drive, is drive your own car. And Do you. I <laughs> I strive. The other wise one, which I do do, is everybody behind the windshield thinks they're a badass Rambo. And don't say anything from your car that you would not say to a guy to his face if you were handcuffed. So if I, if my hands are cuffed, would I walk up and blurt the comment I just blurted on social media? Oh, you're dumb. You're an anti-vaxxer. No, I'd get punched in the face. And um, so if one ever comes through all my comments, I never personally attack, insult. I attack the arguments, but I do not attack the person who's arguing. In spite of how many attacks they might land back at me. I refrain. You need to be on meds. <laughs> I refrain. I read that comment once. Yeah, oh sure. There's a, oh that's you need, nothing. You need to be God. put on some psychiatric meds. I read that and then I decided to stop reading the comment because it made me mad. There's all <laughs> kinds of and the, the most common reaction, like example, if you're pro-vaccine or anti, is whoever holds the opposite opinion is not gonna attack your opinion, they're going to attack you. It's the oldest thing in the book. And I, in the past, like now I've been practicing this and I don't have to like think about, oh, I'd better not insult this guy. But I, I would, in the early days of this, like back in 2015, I like made up my mind that I am not going to say anything to anyone on a screen that I'm not willing but to say to their face if I'm handcuffed. Or behind a windshield. Or behind a windshield. <laughs> yep. Everybody's caught. That's how you started it off. You said behind a windshield. Well, because it, Yeah, I know. Yeah. You had the analogy. We get we get it. That's the analogy. Yep. <laughs> we get it. We get it. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I've always thought that 
if you wanted an easy way to win a Nobel Prize, the easiest way to do it would be invent a new version of the Internet that is basically exactly the same, but with one difference, which is you have the ability to press a button and punch the person on the other side of the computer. And if you did that, I think the whole world would change overnight if you had that capability, because you're totally right, Chris. There is something, you know, I used to think it was the anonymous nature of the Internet, but with the rise of social media, I realize it's actually not the anonymous nature of the internet that turns people into jerks. People are more than happy to be jerks to you online when they're saying things under their own name. But there's just something about the way that the internet and social media specifically works, which draws out the worst in people's behavior. And I, I don't really know exactly what it is. I, I mean, all I can tell you is that on, on this recording, you know, yesterday or the day before we had the great Facebook outage of 2021, where yes. Facebook was down for like half the day. I didn't even Man, notice the greatest day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was the greatest day of my life. I loved it. I mean, I, I had I never was been aware until I read it in my news feed because I spend much more time reading curated journalism than Facebook. But. but but isn't it crazy that Facebook and Instagram are so powerful that the site being down for a few hours is international news? I, I mean, my phone was blowing up with these news notifications saying Facebook is down, Facebook is down. And I'm thinking, you know, didn't something happen in the world? What a wonderful thing. Yeah, didn't something happen in the world that's more important than a website? I got to add one little comment because I, I like to always add the opposing view. So the opposing view is, let's say you did have in the internet a thing that you could reach out and smack them in the face. That's kind of the same argument often given by gun advocates, that an armed society is a, a polite society. And one could say that there's some grains of truth to that and not. Mm -hmm. If everyone was walking around carrying a gun... Would we be a more polite society or would we be a more on edge society? And that's kind of one of those things. If you could get punched through your screen, would that calm down what you say and have you become more fearful and tribal? Because now you would feel like they're repressing my thoughts. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't know. I think everything has a good side and a dark side including aging in the jujitsu. <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> Good <guy>. segue. <laughs> well, let, with that said, let's talk shop here. I mean, this, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart as I am slowly but surely approaching old bastard territory. I mean, for me, I don't think that aging, it hasn't been as top of mind in terms of my jujitsu game as a lot of people because I, first and foremost, I've never really been an active competitor. I've always just been doing it for fun. My priority has always been playing it safe on the mats. I tend not to do crazy things. And, you know, much like your your disciple Preet Mikkelsen, I always revert to lazy turtling. And so <laughs> the loss of athleticism and cardio has not hit me as hard as some of my peers. But this is a topic that everyone encounters. And there, there just isn't enough thought put into this. I mean, yes, there are websites that purport to give you tips for jujitsu after 40 or 50. But honestly, I, I haven't seen a lot of in-depth discussion about it. Usually it's just a few techniques and a grab bag when you see that kind of stuff. And the thing about jujitsu that I, I feel is kind of a little bit imbalanced is in our sport, there is a massive amount of focus in the, the front end of people's careers. You know, when you, you start off and you get to 25 or 26 and you go to the worlds and that's the part that we train people for. But what we don't really train people for is the rest of their lives. And jujitsu, one of the things I love about the sport, and you tell me if you feel differently, is that unlike a lot of combat sports, it's a lifelong endeavor. I mean, you, if you can stay moderately healthy, you can be rolling until you're 70 or maybe even beyond, right? So that's one of the things. I love about this sport is its ability to follow you for your entire life, but you do have to make some strategic changes as you get older. And with that said, Chris, Melissa, I give you to the floor. Obviously, this is a topic that's near and dear to you guys because it's something you wanted to discuss. So why don't you kick it off here? Can I just say something real quick? I don't think I know anybody who's 70 who rolls. <laughs> there are, I know of. There are a few. I know of. You know of. But I don't personally, personally know. and I know a lot of freaking people. 
Yeah. But I don't know anybody who's 70 who rolls. All right. <laughs> Let's start off with before I jump into the philosophy of what I call the spirit of jiu-jitsu, because you've got the mind, the body, and the spirit. And clearly, the younger you are, the more you, you tend to go in that wing of the triangle towards the body because it's athletic and the knowledge is the mental part and the spirit is one could call it an extension of the mental part but no but the spirit of it is is the body part and the mind are you yourself the spirit is the breakout of that and looking at the larger a picture the compassion towards your teammates and opponents, the intent behind how you roll and how you flow, what some call in the combat athletics, your unchangeable inner core, either you have it or you don't, some say, and all that stuff. And the spirit of the jujitsu is, which is related with the art of it is, how do I control and submit my opponent, utilizing the least amount of attributes in athletics and the maximum amount of knowledge, cunningness, and guile, leverage and guile. So the spirit can carry through a lot longer into your old age. And of all the combat sports, probably the shortest shelf life is that of Muay Thai because of the punishment that you have to take on the body. So if you look at all of athletics, probably the shortest is gymnastics. A a gymnast is basically washed up by the time their bones fuse. They have a few more years left and then you're going, you no longer bounce, you break. And that's because it's impactful and very twisting. So if you take a, a combat sport like Muay Thai or boxing, it's constant impact. And I love uh, to say, and this isn't my quote, I stole it years ago, is I love boxing, but boxing does not love me back. And if you think of that about other combat sports, what in that sport does not love me back? One thing is having my joints hyperextended. How much control of that do I have? Can I drive my own car and tap, hit the brake? Or am I in the other guy's car thinking what he ought to do and I miss hitting the brake? So, it's as long as I go back in and take responsibility for my actions the best I can and stay out of everyone else's head, then I have the best chance at not ending up injured by a joint extension. Now you have impact. Clearly, judo is highly impactful, and I love judo. But every time I bounce, no matter how modern and impact the proof of the mat is, I get a headache later on in the day because I've been knocked out a bunch of times, I've been choked, and I'm old. So impact, I can't handle anymore. And the least impactful out of all the combat sports is jiu-jitsu, which is why it has a long shelf life. Having said that, I'm starting to to hit many more walls in that than I have ever in the past. Yeah. Makes sense. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, I'd love to hear you expand on that too. Yeah. It's interesting because Chris and I are 14 years apart and we both started jujitsu in our early twenties. I think he was 23 or 24 and I was 24 when we started and you know, like I'm going on 19 years of training and approaching 43 years old. And for me, I feel like I'm just entering this phase where I want to have this discussion. And I've been watching my partner go through this phase for like the last 10 years. And, you know, and I would always, he would say, ow, ow, a lot of times when we're warming up and stuff, because it takes a lot longer to get the body warm 
the body feels so much better when it is warm, but it's kind of painful to get to that place anymore. And now I know what he was talking about. And I used to kind of like make fun of him and say, oh, you're such a wimp. Because I'm here like in my 20s and early 30s and I'm like telling him he's a wimp and now I totally understand and I wish I wouldn't have rolled so hard with all those little kids who are going to start beating me up. And, um, you know, it's just like, it's really weird. And I was thinking about how like, this is new territory because jujitsu came to America and spread out globally in the late 80s. So really, Chris is like, he started in 1988. He's the first batch you know, of English speaking peoples to go through this. Not that those, that the Brazilians don't, haven't learned English, but you know, they, and reading Hickson's book is insightful. I just read that because he's in his late sixties and, you know, talks about how his body is banged up in the end of the book and stuff like that and how it's hard to roll anymore. It's hard to roll if you trained hard from the time you were a young person and you trained competitively and did other things like Chris did all this military training and all that kind of stuff. And I just used to get drunk and fall down a lot. You know, <laughs> you put all these miles on your body and it catches up with you. Now, if you start jujitsu in your fifties and you were pretty much a non-athlete and just hung out on the couch all the time, you might have a longer shelf life. You might go to 80, but, <laughs> but if you're, you know, one of us or Hicks and Gracie, it's going to hurt a lot more. And there's a lot more like in my body, most of my joints are arthritic and I'm 42. I went to the doctor the other day and he said that I look like a good candidate for a hip replacement because of the arthritis in oh, my man. in my hip. Now, does that mean that that, that was from jujitsu? He said, not necessarily. It could have just been the way that my hip is shaped and blah, blah, blah. I'm, since, since the doctor told me that, I've heard all kinds of people who have that issue. But all the people that I've heard, most of them do jujitsu. <laughs> so... <laughs> All of us have torn meniscus. All of us have that. Now, um, let me add a point here too. So one of the myths that permeates martial arts and does not necessarily permeate combat sports, which of course these are related but not the same, is the myth of the master that no one can beat. It, it's throughout Japanese karate myths, throughout Chinese kung fu stories, is the old man grand master who can whip everyone's ass. And Yoda. that Yoda. <laughs> Yoda is the classical modern in interpolation of that myth. And the uh, combat sports such as wrestling and but boxing, they don't have that myth. It's very clearly known that the guy who trains the world champion boxer is not waiting to go in and also fight. He's a coach. He, he's a trainer. In wrestling, it, it's very clear that the coach isn't going to go, I'm putting on a singlet. I'm going out there. I'm going to fight. <laughs> That's very much a myth that's not not only in Chinese Kung Fu movies, Hollywood, but it's it's clearly not the reality of combat athletics or even real war. You don't have 60-year-old generals going, hand me a rifle, I'm going to walk point. No, you, you have 19-year-old tough young grunts out there but doing that. And so that actually segues into what, you know, Steve, what this podcast is about, or I mean, I don't really know, but the word mindset is just coming into my head really strong right now that as we age, it really is about our mindset when we step onto the mat and like, are we there to kick everybody's ass anymore? Or art because I love kicking people's ass. I really do. And that's kind of why I do jujitsu. But if I want to keep doing jujitsu, I have to stop thinking that way. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to because I'm always going to be hurt because I physically can't do that anymore. Yes. You know, it's funny you bring that up because, man, I, I remember when I started jujitsu also in my twenties, you know, I, 
I was young. I was relying on athleticism as all young white belts do. And I was moving in a way that now looking back, I was just being an idiot. You know, I, w- I was making stupid decisions that could have led to injury. I was bouncing around the mats like crazy. I didn't know what I was doing, but I would I was trying to do it faster <laughs> and more explosive without really understanding what I was actually doing. And I noticed this about younger people often is they don't really have a long term view of their body. Their focus is on getting done what they want to do today. And that might result in injury, but they're not necessarily thinking. I mean, they don't want to get injured, but they're not putting a lot of thought into injury prevention and what an injury today could do to them 20 years from now if they're not careful and how to move their body to be safe and to minimize that kind of thing. And to some extent, I sympathize because if you're going into competition, you've got this paradox of the short term gains you want to hit versus the long term goals you want to hit. And sometimes you have to do things that might put miles on the on the car, more miles than you would want in order to win a particular match. There's some strategies in jujitsu that are going to impact your body in ways that might be detrimental in the long term, but maybe they're really effective in a competition. So I, I think this aligns, Chris, with what you're saying about mind, body, spirit, whereas uh, at the beginning, your focus is very much the body and and just where you are right now and what you want right now. But as you get older, you establish a broader lens of of time and of what you want to achieve and what you where you need to be 10 plus years from now as well. Absolutely. And that's also, it's like how many 23-year-olds are worried about their IRA and their college fund yeah, for I, their kids? I think- it's that same thing. It's, it's, there's, there is a, a grain of truth that wisdom comes with age. And it's, it's always the old guy who says, including me, I wish I would have known this or realized this when I was younger because you are more in the moment when you're younger and that's just nature and the course of life. I don't think there's any way to make people in their 20s think about how their body's going to feel in their 60s. No. That is just, to me natural. Yeah. Maybe they start to think about it a little more in their 30s, maybe. And usually by the time you're 40s, it hurts too much to not think about it. You know, <laughs> and, and of course there's all different types of people. Chris and I have pretty extreme personalities. We are, you know, and so I don't think we thought much about the future when we were younger in terms of financial or bodies. You know, it was like we just did what we wanted to do because we felt like doing it. And it d- didn't really matter what the consequences were. And, you know, and maybe we're a little late to mature as well. But now we're thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and I think for both of us, neither one of us wants to stop participating in jujitsu. For one, it's a huge part of our lives. And, and it's, and it is our career. Now I wonder sometimes if this wasn't our career, if we would still participate. Well, and I got to add this. I used to say all of the time when I began injuring myself constantly as I aged is when I saw others had knee injuries, I had sympathy until I had my own. I lacked empathy. And if you don't have either of those, you're a sociopath. (laughs) Oh, and my good friend, Scott King, but just called and I want to let him know that we are in the middle of a podcast. Hi, Scott (laughs) King. Hey, Scott. Oh, good afternoon. Yes. And I want to also throw my weight behind the fact that Chris Hodder possesses no empathy or sympathy for (laughs) athletic injuries. Uh, When I tore my ACL... Uh, he was, uh, he told me to suck it up and drive on. All right, I'll talk to you kids later. All right, <laughs> See you, Scott. <laughs> so, so what, what I was thinking and, and saying is that ultimately, I personally feel like jujitsu is a huge part of my identity and who I am having done it for as long as I have in like my adult life. Like I feel like I was becoming an adult, like I'm a late bloomer 
So I didn't really become an adult until I was probably doing jujitsu for a few years, like somewhere in my mid twenties. And so I can't really imagine life without it right now. You know, even though I, I have to choose maybe to not roll, maybe I'm just coaching right now yeah. because I'm letting some things heal up. Look, it's hard. Look. That's a hard okay. decision for me. Here's the, here is the thing. And I did have enough wisdom to kind of understand this when I was in my mid forties until I turned about 51. Even though I had my first real knee injury at 48, I'd had my chronic back and neck problems that occurred when I was much I'm younger. And so I had a bit of wisdom in this. And I've, I used to always say, because I observed that necks and knees are the thing that take athletes out of our game. What about hips? Yes. And <laughs> hips and spines are the other one. And back. Yes. That's the spine. Okay. Um, so <laughs> here, here's the thing is, is I made up my mind when I was really younger. I'm going to say young in, but jujitsu and, and a new brown slash black belt era that I am going to always roll with my peers. My peers being plus or minus one belt, plus or minus one weight class, plus or minus one age group. I will not be a dodger because I came up in a, a period where jujitsu was still very tribal and you were culturally not supposed to roll with those of other uh, tribes, even though they're your peers. And it bugged the shit out of me because during my high school wrestling era, you regularly trained with literally the crosstown rival sometimes the week before a tournament because it seemed like, I'm going to call it, but the sport slash art was more important than the team slash tribe individual. And that's one of the reasons why I say the, the high school slash college wrestling model of a training is more like, and here comes dun, 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 socialism. Because the state is paying the coach. The gym is provided by the taxpayer. So the athlete only worries about the art and sport, not whether they make money or a name or not. That is good and bad. The private jujitsu model is much more like a pyramid. And you're trying to rise to the top, whether it's your school as a competition athlete, and that also is bad and good. So everything has a, a bad and a good. But my point is, I hit that glorious age at about 45 where my hair is gray. And suddenly, the culture had changed enough. And I was old enough where my peers, the guys who are my belt around my weight, would actually chomp at the bit to roll with me, not avoid me. And it's largely because they're in the adult division and they clearly knew I was no longer in their bracket. So I become good practice because I have experience in game and they don't have to worry about me figuring out their game. So next month when we meet in the brackets, I have their game. And it was a great, and I knew it would be a short little period. I knew I was at the end. It's like now I have enough youth in me left where I still have a game and enough experience where I won't get hurt and they want to roll. And for about five years, whenever I had a chance, I would roll with anyone who was like the world champion or the best. I would even seek it out because I want to know as a martial artist where I stand. 
when you remove all brackets and belts, all rules, our ultimate spiritual goal of this thing is we have to relate it to where we stand with others. And the isolated guy who trains begins to lose the perception of where they stand amongst others. Because this really does become a not a me, me, me thing, but a we, we, we thing. And we have to relate where we stand not only on the current rapidly evolving game or we become extinct, but we will die. And as I become extinct or die, I'm going to say, I want to experience everything I can. Does that mean I want to go, I'm going to learn the leg weave game and start heel hooking? No, I'm too old. But I want to learn the game still. I want to drill it. But I don't want to create a habit where I think I can escape out of heel hooks now. Yeah. Yeah. And so Chris has that mentality of, um, you know, of never dodging. And he really instilled that in me through being my coach. And I would go and I would train with these, you know, other high level people and they wouldn't want to roll with me and stuff like that. And they would dodge me and I'd get all pissed off. And now, like what I was talking about, having to sit out and maybe let some things heal up, I feel like a dodger. And there's this like sense of guilt that I'm not participating. <laughs> it makes me feel really bad about myself. So I need to get over that. If I, I mean, you know, because like there's a time and a place I just, I want to roll so bad and just roll freely without having to worry about, you know, being up in the middle of the night in pain and getting ice packs and Epsom salt baths just so I can have a roll. Like that's no way to live. So there's got to be some kind of, you know, middle ground moving forward, especially like, I think part of it might be like to the, to women being a female and, and being small that those things put a lot of extra uh, pressure on my joint. So maybe my experience is going to be a little bit more extreme than my, my husband's experience or some big giant man's experience. So anyways. here's the answer, I think. <laughs> and I'm not going to say that I always take my own advice, but to go back to by the car analogy, let's say sometime in our 40s, we finally really learn to drive our own car. But we now learn we have to assess the state of our <laughs> car and what we put our car through. So now am I going to drive my own car until the wheels fall off? Or am I going to do maintenance on the car I abuse? And, <laughs> and I got... How much maintenance can I do? Sure, I can swap out the tires, add new brake pads. There are things I can do, but I'm not going to drive my car to beat other cars anymore. My primary goal is to walk off the mat uninjured. And that requires me to really remove my ego. And I get to occasionally, although for the last like two years, either between frozen shoulder, COVID, and my knee, it depresses me that I train at a place in LA that has some of the top three rated lightweight black belts in the world, and I can't roll with them. It like literally hurts my soul that I can't. Because I really am at a place where I know they'll beat me, but I want to know how they're beating me. I want it. I want that experience. In other words, and I realized this very early on as a young coach is I don't have to teach myself to want to win. I don't even have to hype myself up. I know I, I naturally, intuitively, within the core of the marrow of my bone, I want to win. It's almost like I need to, I, I ignore that part. And instead, I worry about my strategies and my tactics, not my will. And by removing the ego, I can like let guys 
past my guard where maybe when I was younger, I could invert and bring my twisted injured knee over, but I'll just let them pass now. And, and instead I'll uh, practice my escapes. And a lot of the influence of Halio occurred in his later part of life, which meant a lot of uh, people learned the defense and escape version instead of the attack mm. because a lot more time was spent when you're 60 and there's 25-year-old purple belts who pass your guard easy. Now you work on escaping out across sides and mount. Which I always thought was super lame. Because you were young. <laughs> and it is lame. It's lame if that's your goal as a 22-year-old, I want to be a world champion goal, is I'm going to learn mount escapes. No, you want to learn how to not have your guard passed, have a, an attacking, get back on top guard. But when you're older, it's, it's, it's like if my overarching goal really is the purity of, of the art. What happens in in the street, in if I'm being attacked or all of the other stuff? I better know how to escape if a guy jumps on my back, throws me on the ground and mounts me. How do I get out? Mm. Yeah, I, I very much adhere to the old Elio philosophy of as long as you don't lose, you eventually win. And I, I love that idea, right? If if you're practicing jujitsu for true self-defense and you really want to be in tune with the, the core of the art, my feeling is you don't need to be going in there trying to whoop ass in order to experience jujitsu. A big part of what makes jujitsu awesome is that with minimal effort and with maximum efficiency, you can use leverage to defend yourself successfully against a bigger, stronger opponent. And that's one thing that does hold up quite well as you get older. I, I It's funny. I, I think that when you're younger, you have a shorter span, a shorter perspective of time. I mean, I remember, and I'm sure you guys remember when you're younger and you're 20. Mathematical fact. Yeah, yeah. You get an injury and you're thinking to yourself, I can't, I can't take a day off jujitsu. I just, I would die if I took a day off jujitsu. I remember when I was 20, I was a white belt. And of course, being a white belt, I did something stupid. I was doing stand up with another white belt and I got his thumb right in my eye. I got a gnarly eye injury and I was back on the mats with the next day wearing a freaking eye patch because I thought like, I can't, I can't take a day off. Yeah, sure. I can't see out of my eye and I'm like, I've got a chunk missing out of it, but I can't be missing jujitsu class or now, you know, get, getting to 40. I would never think that way. And when my daughter was born, I took a significant amount of time off and I have a much longer perspective. And I realize now if I have to miss some time from jujitsu, it's not the end of the world. I mean, martial arts have been around since time immemorial. It's still going to be there if I got to take some time off to rehab an injury or prioritize my family or some of the other things going on in life. I have a much broader lens now with which to experience the world. And I, I realize that I've got to pick my shots and I've got to be strategic with my time. And sometimes that means, yeah, you've got to, you've got to miss the cool roles that you want because you're rehabbing an injury or because something else has, has come up. I do feel that one of the weird things about jujitsu is that people in this sport are encouraged strongly to prioritize jujitsu above everything else in their lives, especially when they're young. And I feel like that is not always the healthiest relationship. I mean, I know a lot of 20 somethings in jujitsu where they, they live and die on the mats. They have nothing else going on and it is the only thing they care about. And I respect the focus and surely that focus is required to achieve certain levels of success competitively. But I, I do feel that as you get older, you have a broader life experience and you realize that like, look, if I got to walk away from this battle to win the larger war, that's totally cool. And I'm happy to do that. I have a running joke I, I've done for over 30 years now. Whenever I'm running a class and it's like maybe halfway through the class or at the end and a guy like runs up and goes, well, coach, I got to go because I got this thing happening or I got a kid doing blah, blah, blah. I always have a joke. I announce loud in the class. Oh, look at Joe over here. 
He thinks his family and job are more important than being here on the mat. <laughs> this is exactly how you will lose. And it, it, it's the reason why we all laugh at that is because part of us knows the truth. And good humor always has an element of truth. That's why it's funny. Bad humor, you punch down, you insult, and you're mocking and laughing at other humans. Good humor is we get to laugh at ourselves, at the absurdity of ourselves. And yes, we in this thing, because the nature of the art is so addicting, because our brains can only keep three bits of information in it at a time, at maximum, and usually it's two only. And we have this thing where you forget more than you can learn. It's very common as we become aging well, black belts, we'll either see a move instructed maybe on YouTube or on a mat and go, God, I remember not only did I use that move all the time, but I used to teach it. And, and it, it, it almost completely left my mind and brain because unlike a boxing, which is a simple art, but takes years to never really ever master in this, you literally cannot learn every move. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a trap that I, I certainly have myself found that I've fallen into, which is just I, I overload myself cognitively. I feel pressured to learn every freaking thing. I was seeing some people on on Reddit the other day ask some questions and some some person asked something like, hey, how do you do a, a transition from a 70-30 to a Zen Bolo? And I had to reply and say, like, I have no idea what any of these words mean. OK, I just I just go into guard and I pass guard and I do side control the way Helio intended. Damn it. You know, I, I, I all of this fancy stuff. It, it is impossible in this sport to know every single thing. And of course, you want to you need to be aware of these ideas, because if nothing else, you need to be able to funnel back to the stuff that you're good at and the stuff that you want to do. But I feel like when you're younger in the sport and maybe this is just an artifact of having a lot more time, you feel like you have to learn every damn thing about jujitsu. Whereas I feel like when you're older, you kind of learn strategically. You need to know this stuff so you don't get caught by it, of course. But ultimately, like you said earlier, Chris, yeah, you might not be you might not turn into a leg lock wizard at 50 or 60, but what you can do is understand that those attacks are coming and steer the car back into the lane you want it to be on if someone tries that on you. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, I for me, I've always been a little bit learning challenged and um, I have to like literally try a technique a hundred times before it even has any hope of attaching to my long-term memory. So I'm not one of those who seeks to learn everything. I mean, what I know, I know well, and there's a whole bunch that I don't know. And in terms of like, the other thing is this art is so full of evolution it evolves and it's evolving right now, probably at an exponential rate. And people are giving names to things that I probably just naturally do in the melee of a role. But now all of a sudden it's some reverse daily yes. step over sweep thingamajigger. And, I, and it's just something that might be like a natural transition, but it has to have a name and a technique and a move and mm -hmm. a, you know what I mean? And it's just... It's, it seems like if, if I think about all of that, I think it's really complicated, but I think that there is a lot to be said about focusing on fundamentals and, and being able to defend things just through using, you know, basic fundamentals. But at the same time, always seeking to, to learn more and be open to learning more. Yep. Um, and I would, I would add, add this. It's like often when we are younger, we want to own stuff, possess things. It's like I use the analogy of the classic car, let's say. You, oh, I want to have a 57 Chevy so bad. Or, or, no, I want a really rare, obscure one. I want a 39 a Packard. I've come to a point where I don't want one of those anymore clogging up my, my driveway. If I want to see one, I want to see a beautifully restored one at a museum. 
I don't need to possess and own it anymore. And I kind of think of that in terms of my jujitsu. I don't have to own it. I don't have, I can be an observer of this now who also gets the drive the cool classic cars, but I don't have to own them and worry about them and, and all that stuff about all of the moves, but techniques, what have I missed? And although I've kind of missed this analogy here, but, um, <laughs> boy, my slide, it was not bad. my careening off the road here, but what one of the more recent evolutions, or I'm going to call speciations that has clearly occurred in the last eight years is gi and no gi. They're almost two complete uh, styles that have speciated. Kind of like the judo Brazilians speciated their version of Bokozin judo, retaining the name jiu-jitsu, while the, uh, the Japanese and Europeans and Americans after the war sportified it and called it judo. And that evolution is akin to a lion and a tiger splitting apart and they can interbreed, but their offspring are sterile. We're almost at, at this kind of interesting and, and clearly the lion can learn stuff from the tiger. The tiger can learn things from but the lion, but you don't enter a judo comp and expect to win on your jujitsu alone or the other way around anymore. And it's starting to become that way with gi and no gi. Definitely. I remember when I started uh, training, gi and no gi were basically the same except for your wardrobe choice. You know, there were there were a few minor differences. Obviously, I can't cross collar you or spider guard you very well in, in no gi. But other than that, it was basically you do the same thing for both classes, but you can't do gi chokes in, in one version. But now they they are so distinct that they you could even look at them and some people do look at them as actual separate martial arts at this point i think that there's tremendous benefit of course like with any cross training there's still cat yeah there, there's still a lot but they are no longer yeah like with like with any martial arts i think there's still benefit to cross training them you know you're you're probably going to be better off training both i say all the time all the time to gi or not but to gi is a stupid a question you do them both because your gi uh, training helps you learn stickiness and calculus and your no gi helps you learn how to have impeccable but timing and be tight. Mm -hmm. You need them both. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the, the way that I've always thought of it is that the gi is great for teaching you defense because there is that sticky factor. Your opponent can latch onto you from anywhere. And there is such a diversity of ways that you can get submitted in the gi. Whereas in no gi, like you said, I, I've always found that helps you work your offense because it is so much harder to establish the kinds of control that are representative of jujitsu. So you got to be a lot better at controlling someone if you want to do it in no gi. It's just so slippery and people can just explode out of positions much easier than when the pajamas are on. So I, I think that there's a a breadth of knowledge that you can get from training them all. And it's funny, you were talking about uh, the divergence and the downside of that. I remember, man, I remember when I was a blue belt, I want to say we had a visiting judo black belt and it was the first time I'd ever sparred with like a judo black belt. And so I thought that this guy was just going to whoop me. But as soon as it got to the ground, I triangled him. And he was shocked. He'd never seen that before. And I was blown away. I thought, how the hell can you get to a black belt in judo without even knowing what we consider to be a very fundamental move? It, it is part of your art after all. But, you know, I understand it now. There's a ton of judo throws that I as a jujitsu black belt haven't even heard of. And I've spent time studying this stuff, but just it is it is so diverged that at this point they have become very distinct arts. But still, though, the the benefit to cross training them and to exposing your mind to new ideas, I think, is so huge that it's always worth doing. Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. And we just don't have enough a time in our lives to become judo masters 
gi masters, no gi masters, MMA guys, Muay Thai guys, and boxing guys, and Greco guys, and wrestlers. We only have a limited amount of adult competition years, and we only have a limited amount of of aging athlete. I just want to learn the, the arts. But that should not stop you from doing, I hate to use this line because it's been usurped by QAnon, but you do your own research, <laughs> right? You, you, and that research is not coming up with your own ideas of how to reinvent the wheel, QAnoners. It's looking at the research that experts before you have done. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because when I talk to really high-level guys and girls in the sport, one of the things that they always say is is what you said, that before you go off on some trailblazing, innovative journey, first see what has come before you, first see what other people have done. And I always find it interesting when really well-known, accomplished jujitsu people say things like that, because you expect that if you're, you know, if you're like Ryan Hall or Lachlan Giles or someone like that, you expect that these people are just savants that make things up all the time and just everything works. But in reality, even these guys always say that what works for them is to, to pattern after what's already worked, to see what other people have done that has been successful, to research the successes of others and incorporate that. And only then, once you've got a foundation, do you start trying to build off of it and, and create your own theories and your own ideas and test them? It is sort of foolhardy to try to reinvent the wheel before you even know what the wheel is or you have experience using said wheel. And I think it is interesting to see that even the high level people have that humility. I'm going to close with this. There's a trap in which we, which we who become experts in any one area fall into. It's the trap of thinking that somehow expertise in one area translates into other areas. We think that because we're an expert in gi jiu-jitsu, that makes us an expert in no-gi and judo. It makes us familiar, but not an expert. And the internet is permeated with experts in one area who think they are experts in a bunch of other areas because of that. And that I will end it on. <laughs> and I, I would even expand that and add my closing thought, which is that it is often the case, and I, I see this now, that when you are older and you are the so-called expert, there are even areas within your own domain that you're not an expert. I mean, if you want instruction on how to play spider guard, I, I'm a black belt and I, I couldn't really tell you. I never play Spider Guard. It's just not my thing. I taught Spider Guard last night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like my fingers but too I much. I don't know. and 70s and all these other weird things. Um, I think that a lot of that too comes down to personality, you know, and my partner, my significant other, he is a, he is an alpha male and he knows a lot of things. And I am, at least when he met me, I was a very timid, introverted, couldn't really speak up for myself, had him order my dinner for me because I didn't know what to pick. And through hanging out with him, he's kind of rubbed off on me. So now I can command a room of men to follow me through exercises. So I've, I've really grown a lot in this relationship. But at the same time, I consider myself an expert at nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find to me that was that was one of the healthiest things in my jujitsu journey was accepting the limitations of my knowledge and that I don't have to be an expert in, in in everything. And it's okay to not know the answer and it's okay to to seek those answers if you you need it. Anyway, thank you so much to the both of you for joining. I know that you guys have to jet. If people want to look you up or connect with you or check out your work, how do they go about doing that? Do you guys have a website or should they check you out on social? Let us know. Oh, Steve, I need to talk about that. Because I would have forgot. Let me, and I was forgetting <laughs> to. I, we, I was just so in the moment with this topic. Now, Chris and I have an online platform on combatbase.com. Combatbase.com, where we actually have, you know, a paid subscription channel where you can watch our videos as well as videos from a lot of the black belts that we've promoted. 
and we are constantly adding and creating new content for this site. We, we post about one video each week and uh, we have Zoom sessions like this Sunday, we're having a question and answer session with Chris and I. And sometimes, like I said, some of our other students join us as well. We do that twice a month. We uh, are also introducing a new facet of a book club. We just read Hicks and Gracie's book, Breathe, and we're going to discuss that on Monday, October 11th uh, on Zoom. And so this is really something that's accessible to people all across the world, regardless of affiliation. Uh, we do also have the opportunity to, you know, to be our student, no matter where you live or, or what you're up to. If you want to be our student, we will figure out a way to make that happen. Or if you have a group of people, Chris is always available for seminars and he comes out and he can, can coach your group. And uh, we have a lot of small groups recently that have popped up probably due to the pandemic as well. People are starting to do more like intimate things, whether they want to have it just in their garage and, you know, do more like kind of pod training or people who are just branching out and, and wanting to start a gym of their own. Um, we're definitely here to support anyone who wants to be supported and not controlled because we are anti-control and we are very for people doing what they want to do, how they want to do it. You know, and as long as it's ethically, ethically in alignment with, with our morals and values, we, we want to be able to support people's jujitsu journey. That is fantastic. And so uh, combatbeats.com. Yeah. And, and we have a lot of gear available. You know, Chris is a, an artist. We have art for sale on the website. We have gear, rash guards, hoodies, t-shirts. We're designing a new gi right now. Um, so hopefully that'll come out in the next few months. So there's really a lot. In, and if you, you're not interested in joining the combat base club, just join our mailing list. So you know what's going on. I'm, I am being a lot more diligent at. Yeah, combat-based YouTube channel, social media channels. There's Combat Base Club on Instagram and Facebook. There's also, you know, Melissa Howder and Chris Howder on Facebook and, and Instagram. But what I was going to say, join our mailing list. Go on our website and subscribe to the mailing list. You'll see when the new gear is coming out. You'll see when we're offering new things. You'll see where Chris is going on seminars next. So if he's at a seminar in your neighborhood, you can try to sign up and join in on that. So really, we have a lot going on. So feel free to reach out anytime. Awesome. And something that I would tack onto that, just general thought, because I know people are sometimes hesitant to sign up for memberships like this. Let, let me tell you something out there, dear listener. I I know you're spending 100 to 150 bucks a month on this silly sport for your membership. I know you're dropping 200 large on your geese. I know you're spending 100 bucks a month on supplements that don't do anything. But what I do also know is that most of these subscription sites will give you ridiculous value for a relatively small amount. I mean, I, I recommend people often ask me, well, which one should I sign up for? Should I sign up for for yours, Steve, or or Preet's or Rob Bernanke's or the Howder? Well, you know what? You're not restricted to sign up for one. Most of these are reasonably priced enough that you can actually sign up for a few of them, try them and get a broad perspective. It is ridiculous that you can get access to that level of education and content for the price that you can. Compare that to how much it costs for a private lesson. It is literally a steal. So check it out. What was it? Combatbase.com? Combatbase.com. And yeah, and there's no commitment. You can join for one month, watch all the content and cancel. Of course, we don't want you to do that. We'd love to build a relationship with you. We'd love to see you participate in some of our Zoom stuff or even, you know, come come out and do a private lesson in person. We are doing that. <laughs> Awesome. And of course, if you guys want to check out our stuff, bjjmentalmodels.com is where you can contact me, check out the concepts that we talk about on the show, get all the historical episodes, and I'll plug our premium site to premium.bjjmentalmodels.com because everyone in the community has to have a premium site. And I do suggest that, again, to listeners, try it, try out all of these things, right? Most of them with very minimal commitment, you can try out these services and you'll probably get tremendous value. I mean, on ours, I know like, like with you guys, I've had people who sign up, they try it, they download everything and then they disappear and they, I never make a cent off of them. But honestly, as long as I'm helping people and building this platform, that's the most important thing to me. So I think it's great that combat base has one of those as well. Yeah, and we wouldn't if it wasn't for that nasty pandemic because we finally figured out <laughs> that we can't do everything in person all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's changed a lot, right? I mean, will it ever supplant in-person training? Of course not. But does it open the door and give you access 
direct access, not YouTube access, but direct access to some of the most interesting minds in the sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. So I, I love that model. And it's awesome that you guys are on there anyway. Thank you so much to both of you for coming by. Thank you. I really greatly appreciate it. It's so cool to have the two of you here together talking about this stuff. Um, I hope that all of our listeners, as they grow older now, they <laughs> have a bit of a toolkit to understand what to expect as that happens. But yeah, I, I would close by saying getting old is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, in, in pop culture, we often talk about it like, oh, getting old, it sucks. But despite the limitations, I have generally found that the older I get, the happier I get and the more interesting my life gets. So it's not all a bad thing. It's just a different thing. Yeah. There's something to say, Steve, about just being more comfortable in your skin, regardless of, you know, athletic performance, just being content in, in who you are, you know? And I think that that's something that, that really develops more with age. I most firmly believe that the core of happiness <laughs> is being grateful for what you have, not what you lack. Mm -hmm. And growing old is a luxury that not everyone gets. True. That is true. Absolutely. Well, that is a profound way to tie this one up. Thank you again to both of you. And of course, to everyone who hangs out with us here every week. Thanks to you guys for listening as well. And we'll talk to you guys next time.